We have a, uh, a special speaker with us this morning. This is his first time coming up here, and so I just wanted to brag on him a little bit because he's a good friend of mine. I love him. Uh, so th- his name is Jeff, and, and Jeff started coming to Mosaic a couple years ago. Uh, and he wanted to get, get together with me because he wanted to talk about how can I get connected in Mosaic. And so we, sitting across from each other at coffee, I said, the best way for you to get involved in Mosaic is to join the best team, which is the work crew. Any work crew out there? Woo! 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 Uh, best team that we have here. And, and the reason why is because you show up at 7 o'clock in the morning, and, and at the time we were at Southeast, which if you were ever there, you saw what we did. You get there at 7 o'clock, and you have to build this entire thing. You work together to, to pull off this huge thing. And so it just built, like, trust and camaraderie and all those kind of things. Plus, a lot of the leadership is there, and so it's like, if you want to get connected in really fast, that's the team to be a part of. And he told me, he's like, you know, I don't really feel like the work crew uses my skills very well. Like, I'm not necessarily skilled in that way. But... If that's what you think, I'm there. I'll do it. So he started showing up at 7 o'clock in the morning, and he noticed something. He noticed a lot of these people were showing up at 7 o'clock, having not eaten breakfast because it's ridiculously early in the morning, and then would go until like 1 or 1.30 when we were done and not have eaten that whole entire time. And so he started bringing breakfast for us. At 7 o'clock in the morning, he would come with enough food to feed all of us, which was awesome. And what started off as just him, he quickly started pulling some other people into it, and we had three or four people that were working together to make sure that we had breakfast every single morning as a part of that work crew experience. Uh, And so I just loved that he saw this need, he was willing to step into it, and and it was really cool. So then fast forward about a year later, he he came up to me and was like, all right, so now I feel like I've got the whole work crew thing going on, but I still don't feel like my skills are being utilized very well. And unfortunately, the way I feel like I'm skilled is very similar to the way you are skilled. So me, he's talking to me, if you weren't following. Uh, and so he said, but you're already doing things, and so like, where do I fit in all that? And I was like, help me do what I'm doing, please. I need help, please. Just, I need more than I can do. Uh, so he started helping out with our protege program, which if you don't know what that is, it's our, we have a year-long leadership development program called Protege. He started helping me with that. Now is the co-director of that. He's my partner in crime. Love this guy. So give it up for my friend, Jeff Miller. Here he is. Thanks, Brian. What Brian doesn't tell you about that story about me joining work crew and bringing breakfast was that I was really hungry. And that's really, you know, it was really that more than anything that motivated me. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. All right. All right. Um, I'm really honored that Aaron and Brian invited me to come and and speak uh, today. So thanks so much for having me. Here's a question for you. How many of you guys played high school sports of some kind? Anybody in the room? A few of you? All right. All right. All right. When I was in high school... For whatever reason, my high school let me be on our soccer team, believe it or not. Um, And now, I should probably specify, uh, I grew up about an hour outside of St. Louis, Missouri, um, and this was a a really kind of tiny Christian high school. Um, So it was a a sort of thing where if we were going to have extracurricular activities, like almost everybody had to participate in order to to field a team. Uh, so when I say that I played soccer in high school, that, that isn't necessarily a statement about my soccer skills. I think it's important uh, that you know that. Um, anybody here have the misfortune of playing for a really terrible sports team ever? Am I the only one? Honestly, okay, there we go. There we go. I am, I am willing to bet, we can talk later, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that none of you have played on a team as horrible 
as my high school soccer team. We were truly terrible. How terrible were we? we I don't know if anybody, any of you heard this, but about two weeks ago, um, in Southern California, there was a girls' basketball team that lost a game 161-2. to 161-2! to two. Ouch! That, that hurts, yeah. And the reason I bring that up is because I'm pretty sure that that girls' basketball team that lost that game could have beat my soccer team. At soccer. We were not good. You guys know how in the Super Bowl, uh, the, you know, when, when a team is about to win, the team will often take the, the tank of Gatorade and pour it over the coach's head uh, to celebrate. Well, in the middle of our season, when we scored our first goal, <laughs> we got so excited that we threw our tank of Gatorade on our coach's head in the middle of the game. We, we meant for it to be a happy gesture. The coach didn't really take it that way. I, yeah. Did you guys know that in soccer they have a mercy rule where if one team goes up 10 goals on the other team, uh, at least that's what the refs told us many times um, was the case. You know? And so you know that your team is really, really bad when your only, your only objective is to play the whole game. Without, without the game getting called on account of going down 10 nothing. So as you can imagine, given just how terrible we were as a soccer team, uh, our, our athletic banquet at the end of the year was a little bit different um, from um, a, lot of, a lot of athletic banquets. You know, you're at the athletic bank, banquet, you're supposed to celebrate uh, the victories and the momentous triumphs of your team. And we, we did that for the girls' volleyball team and for the basketball teams, but uh, then we would come to our soccer team, and it was, it was kind of weird. It was a little bit awkward. Uh, and there, you know, the coach would get up, and you can tell he's trying to say nice things about us. <laughs> Sometimes he's, like, on the spot trying to think of something to say to us. He's up there saying things like, uh, yeah, we decided to give James the most valuable player of the year award because he scored the goal. The goal. The goal. Well, we got through our athletic banquet, and, you know, all the awards were given out. And my, my best friend, Leo, as it happens, won uh, the Most Improved Player of the Year award. You know, it's a funny award, the Most Improved Player award. I don't know how it was at your school growing up. Um, at our school, the Most Improved Player award, it, it, it didn't necessarily feel like a compliment to get, that, to get that award. You know, sometimes, you know, it's not really about making an impact on the field. It's more about your own skill level and raising it up. Um, so sometimes it kind of felt like what you were being told was, God, you were awful at the beginning of the year, but, but somehow by some miracle you are now adequate <laughs> at this game. And so, you know, you compound that with it going to a member of our horrible soccer team and somebody being singled out. And told that, it, it just couldn't feel good to get the most improved player of the year award. So, all right, so this is where the story gets a little embarrassing. Um, so at, at the end of our athletic banquet, I'm, you know, mulling around the banquet hall with my friends. We're talking. And across the room, uh, my soccer coach and I, we make eye contact. And he starts walking towards me. And he comes 
out to me and puts his arm around me, and he says to me, Jeff, I just wanted to let you know you were my second choice for most improved player. Thank you. I don't know. I, I, I know he meant that as a compliment, but I, I don't know. You know, I, I was the runner-up to the most improved player of the year award. I came up just, just a little bit short of that award. And, you know, so I say all that to tell you, you know, I think back on that soccer season now, and I suppose it probably is true um, that I grew and developed a lot um, as, a, as a player um, but whatever it was that I did or learned or, or got better at, it didn't, obviously it didn't make much of an impact on the field, at least not much of a positive impact on the field. Um, I, clearly nothing that anybody on our team did made much of a positive impact on the field, but you know, I, I know that's certainly uh, true of me. And way more often than I'd like to admit, I find that that's kind of my story, is that you know, I, I get up with such good intentions in the morning. I want to have an impact on the world. I think most of us get up in the morning, we, we would like to think that we're having a positive effect on the world. Uh, but then at, at night we go to bed. Uh, a lot of times if you're like me and I think, boy, nothing. I, I, I don't know that I really accomplished that much with my day. And sometimes entire seasons of my life I look back on and I think, boy, what did I do to have a positive impact on the world. I can't really see much of anything. So we've been going through this series at Mosaic throughout January, Bless, and we've been talking about uh, this idea of being a blessing uh, to the people in our lives, to our community, to the city. Um, it's been fantastic. And bless is a bit of a church word. Um, you know, when I, when I think about blessing, when I, if I think I'm going to be a blessing to you what I think that means is I am going to live and relate to you in a way that makes the love of God, the justice and peace and mercy uh, of God and that Jesus represents and champions a little bit more of a reality in your life. That's, that's, what, I, that's what it seems to me that it means to bless, to make God's love and justice and peace and mercy a reality in somebody's life. And this series has been fantastic. A couple weeks ago, Bill was up here. He was talking about uh, the power of sharing a meal with somebody and the, just the effect that can have in building community. Last week, Aaron was up here, and he talked about the potential that words have, either to bring blessing or to tear people down. And as I continue thinking about this idea of blessing people, I guess the question that continues to haunt me is when, when I have such good intentions and I really want that to happen, I want those things to be true of my life, why is it so rare that I feel like I have a genuine blessing effect on the world around me? Why is it so uncommon for me to be able to look back and think I really did have a positive impact on the people that I know, on my community, on my city, on my workplace? Why, why is it so rare? And as I ponder that question, the sad truth that occurs to me is that even though I really want to be a blessing, I think I'm a lot better at something else. And that something else I'm a lot better at 
than blessing is I'm really, really good, and I'm getting even better all the time. I'm really good at coming up with reasons in any given circumstance not to bless somebody. When an opportunity to bless comes up, I have this innate ability, and I think most of us probably do, this innate ability to analyze the situation and come up with really, really good reasons not to be a blessing. So today I want to talk a little bit about some of those excuses that come to us, those excuses that we form, the yeah buts, as in, you know, yeah, I, I know that... Uh, I know that she's facing injustice and that somebody should stand up for her. Yeah, but. Or, you know, I know that those kids at the school could use a mentor. Yeah, but. Or, I know that this guy is lonely and he could use somebody to invite him over and make him feel cared for. Yeah, but. You know, we're really good at coming up with yeah, buts. And, I would like for us today to just kind of take those out and examine them a little bit. And as we do that, I want to look at one of my very favorite stories of Jesus being a blessing to somebody. It's in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, the Lord meaning Jesus, The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted um, with the wonderful things that he was doing. So just imagine this scene playing out. You've got uh, a religious context, kind of a sacred space, and Jesus is there to speak, and the place is probably packed out uh, because he's there talking. And as Jesus is teaching, he sees somebody out in the crowd, this woman, this woman who, by the way, is probably a complete spiritual outcast, In the community, because the word is out on her. The reputation is that she uh, has been attacked by a demonic spirit for 18 years, and she's got this humiliating ailment, this uh, this back condition that has her completely bent over, so that she can't straighten her back. I, I don't really know in a synagogue whether they'd be sitting in chairs or sitting on the floor or what exactly the situation would be, but probably she's not really able to hide this condition, and she's just kind of humiliatingly there with her back bent forward. And Jesus, while he's up there teaching, he stops. He drops what he's doing. And he probably walks out into the crowd a little bit and calls her, calls her forward to him. And now if I'm this woman, I'm probably a little bit frightened 
by that because, you know, this is a highly patriarchal culture. It's a man's world, and, you know, it would be very unusual um, for somebody like her to be singled out in the middle of a religious service. Um, She's probably wondering, is this just going to be another humiliation, somebody else heaping shame upon me? But instead, Jesus, of course, puts his hands on her and says, you are set free. And immediately, she straightens up. But then we come to this just unbelievable reaction from the leader of the synagogue who witnesses a miraculous healing. And his response is to get all upset and say, you know what? There are other days when you can come heal. Why are you doing this now on the Sabbath? And of course, you know what, what really strikes me about this is he's mad at Jesus. He's indignant, it says, that Jesus healed this woman. But he doesn't go after Jesus with his comments. No, he goes after the most vulnerable person in the room and says, why do you people come to get healed on the Sabbath day? What are you, what are you people showing up to our religious service with needs for? What are you thinking coming here with needs and vulnerabilities and things that, you know, things that aren't whole about you? I mean, doesn't that just infuriate you? That, the idea of somebody going after her like that. It sure infuriated Jesus because he gets right up into his face. You hypocrite. Well, I don't think that you really need me to tell you that Jesus and this leader of the synagogue, you know, they see this moment, this opportunity to bless very, very differently. That's, that's pretty obvious. But what I'd like to suggest to us today is that a lot of times when we are confronted with the opportunity to be a blessing, to build love, justice, peace, mercy into the world, a lot of times we tend to look at that opportunity a lot more like the synagogue leader does than the way that Jesus looks at these opportunities. And I just want to share three quick observations um, with you uh, to kind of illustrate what I mean Uh, by that. Uh, The first difference between how Jesus looks at these opportunities and the way that I sometimes tend to uh, is that when it comes to blessing, we've learned how to separate the deserving from the undeserving, while Jesus makes no such distinction between people. The leaders of the Jewish community, they were all about separating people between the deserving and the undeserving. This culture was very bought in to the idea that your circumstances, your success, your social prestige, that is all a very direct reflection of what God thinks of you. So if you're doing really well, then that's a direct result of God liking you better than other people. On the other hand, you know, they thought that the reverse was true as well. If you are not doing so well, if you are poor, if you are looked down upon, if you are, you know, if you are unwell, unfit in some way, then that also is a very direct reflection on what God thinks about you. And so as this leader of the synagogue looks at this woman who comes in with this back issue, he has no reason to have sympathy for her because he's thinking, you probably at some point did something to bring this upon yourself. 
Now, I know we're a lot more sophisticated than to ever assume that somebody's circumstances or success is a direct reflection of, of God's favor. But just, just like that, you know, we build for ourselves one of those yeah buts. We build for ourselves an excuse to not bless. Because something that I do, something that my mind goes to when I am confronted with an opportunity to bless people, well, my mind immediately starts examining the person that, that I had the opportunity to bless and think, do they really deserve my help? You know, you know I, I automatically start looking at them very, very critically, you know, and, you know, we, we tend to think, yeah, but those people are sinners. They don't deserve our help. Yeah, but they came to this country illegally. Yeah, but she brings these things upon herself. Yeah, but he's, he was such a jerk to me that one time. Yeah, but if they just worked a little bit harder, they wouldn't be in these circumstances. We do this all the time. We have the opportunity to bless people. We have a way of trying to divide people between the deserving and the undeserving. But see how Jesus treats the woman in this story. He sees her. He identifies that she has a need. And then he immediately acts upon it. He doesn't go through an evaluation process to see if she deserves his help. He acts. In fact, if we were to examine the Gospels in a little more depth and we were to uh, look around, we'd see that Jesus makes a habit of doing this. He, uh, he seems to almost look for people that society says do not deserve to be helped, and he reaches out to them with love, with justice, making peace in their lives. Sometimes he even blesses people who are just flagrantly ungrateful uh, to him afterwards for it. And it makes me reflect, nowhere in the Gospels, nowhere in the Bible, you know, do I find Jesus or any of his followers warning people, now be careful who you bless. Careful who you bless. Make sure they deserve it before you do that. So that's, that's one observation on, on the difference. The second difference that I see uh, between how I look at blessing and how Jesus tends to look at blessing is I, and I think we, a lot of times, we tend to look for the right place in the right time to bless, the right place in the right time. Whereas Jesus, he, he is eager to bless whenever the opportunity arises. And this is exactly what we have going on in this story. Isn't it? The synagogue leader, what's the issue? The issue is that this is taking place on the Sabbath. The Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, for those of you who might not know, was a big deal uh, for the Jewish culture. Then it was one of the key tenets of their culture and of their religion. The idea of refraining from all work on the Sabbath day, that was, um, that was the signifier of the Jewish people, you know, that, that's differentiated between them and the rest of the people that they were around. So this is a big deal for Jesus to do this, for him to do the work of healing this woman. That is offensive. That is it's scandalous. It, it borders on the blasphemous for him to do that. And so we see the response of the leader of this synagogue. Why do you have to do this today? And I think one of the things that struck me about this passage as I was kind of reviewing it is in a very real sense, the leader of the synagogue is right. 
Why can't Jesus just do it tomorrow? Why can't he just... Yeah, why can't he just set aside the whole conflict, make it not an issue, have the woman come back tomorrow and heal her? Woman's still going to be here. You know, what's going to be lost if he just says, you know, we're going to wait till tomorrow to take care of this? You know, it's a, it's a frighteningly logical argument in a way. Why not just put off the conflict don't engage it. You know, just wait for the right place and right time to bless. And even without taking the Sabbath day into consideration, you know, you notice how unusual it is that Jesus would do this. He's speaking. He's, he's, he's at a public speaking event, and he stops what he's doing. He drops everything to heal this woman. That doesn't, that doesn't really happen. It's unimaginable to interrupt uh, a service like this in order to bless in this way. I can't even imagine seeing that happen in a church service. But he sees this woman, he stops teaching, and he reaches out and heals her. And for those of us in here who believe that Jesus Christ is the ultimate representation and revelation of who God is, isn't that a wonderful thing to know? That's what God is like. He sees this need, he sees this woman suffering, and he stops teaching. And he goes and he acts on this need. You know, this idea of waiting for the right place and the right time, you know, it, it reminds me this week, you know, we've, you know, with the holiday, we've heard a lot, we, we've had kind of rehearsed in our minds a lot of what uh, Martin Luther King said and wrote um, in his speeches and in documents like the letter from Birmingham jail. And a lot of times he expresses his frustration with the white church at the time, you know, and the way they would always say, you know, we believe in your goals. We, we want justice for you guys just like you do, but this isn't the right time. You know, this isn't the right time for us to act. This isn't, you know, let's, let's just wait. Let's not do this right now, and how frustrating that was for the leaders of the civil rights movement. And, you know, I think the reason we're so tempted by this idea of waiting for the right place and the right time is because I think if I, I could pull all of us, most of us would say we're pretty busy in here, right? We've got a pretty packed schedule. We're stretched to the limit. Um, you know, there's not a lot of margin um, in our lives, you know, you know, usually when we encounter an opportunity to bless, it comes as an interruption. And it's easy to offer the yeah buts, you know, but once again, if we were to examine the Gospels and see the opportunities that Jesus has, the really memorable occasions when Jesus blesses somebody, they are almost always an interruption. Almost always when Jesus blesses somebody, you know, whether it's a blind beggar by the side of the road while Jesus is walking by saying, please heal me, or whether it's Jesus' mother with him at a wedding saying, they've run out of wine, can you do something about it? A lot of the really memorable stories of Jesus that we know where he blesses, they're all interruptions of one kind or another. And that, that should tell us something about how Jesus viewed interruptions and the compassion that he had to walk into, to lean into that interruption if it meant the opportunity 
to build love, justice, peace, mercy into the world. And one last observation um, that I have to share. Um, ordinarily, I, and I think a lot of us, we, we try to armor ourselves not to be affected by people's needs when we see them, while Jesus allowed himself to be moved by compassion. You know, clearly this leader in the synagogue is completely unaffected by the pain that this woman is going through. He does not have any empathy for her. And while unfortunately that's not all that unusual for people to lack empathy for the suffering around them, I I hope we could all agree that that's not that's not natural. You know, for us to cut ourselves off from empathy when we witness other people's suffering. And if you're wondering what I mean by that, I'll, I'll just ask this question. What do you tend to do when you're walking in a downtown area? What do you do when you see somebody who appears to be a homeless individual approaching you? If you're like me, my, my tendency, my default is to Tell myself, okay, just keep walking straight. Don't make eye contact with them. Uh, you know, if they try to talk to you, just give them a one-word answer. Don't engage with them under any circumstances. That is me making an effort subconsciously to cut myself off from empathy for fellow human beings. And it reminds me of a particularly shameful moment um, in my life. Uh, when I first started college, I went to college um, at a little Bible college in downtown Chicago. Um, and I guess, I guess I would have to say that when I started college, I wasn't what you might call big city savvy. Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, I was pretty overwhelmed uh, by, by what I saw around me, all the, all the homelessness, all the poverty, all the hunger. I didn't really know what to do. Um, about it. The, the first time um, that a homeless individual approached me on campus and asked me for money, um, you know, I felt too guilty to give him nothing. All I had in my pocket was a $20 bill, so I gave it to him, but it wasn't really an act of generosity at all. It was more me being caught like a deer in the headlights and feeling guilt-tripped um, into doing it. Well, so a couple days after that, d- during the new student orientation at my school, we were having a session about, uh, about uh, safety and security on campus, and it was being led uh, by the director of public safety uh, at my college. And during his presentation to us, you know, he was, you know, he was trying to help us poor saps get a little bit more big city savvy. And he said to us, he instructed us, don't give any money to anybody on the streets who asks for it from you. Here at the Bible College, where I'm going to learn how to do ministry and try to learn how to follow the example of Jesus, they tell me right off the bat, don't give to anybody who asks of you. The irony was not lost on me um, at the time. And, you know, I don't want to go after um, this guy at my college because his, you know, it was his job to ensure safety and security on campus. You know, he was trying to teach yokels like me, you know, how not to get themselves killed. Um, But... What really makes me ashamed of that moment, you know, isn't that, isn't that he told us that, but it was that I heard him say that, and my response was not to feel a sense of dissonance with what Jesus said and the example 
of Jesus. My response to him saying that was to have a wave of relief and gratitude rush over me. Because he had let me off the hook. He had, he had told me, essentially, you can feel free to walk through this city, see people in need, see people who are suffering, and you don't have to feel bad about not doing anything to address that. And unfortunately, for just about my entire time in Chicago, I made full use of that permission that he gave. The thing is, though, the, the wonderful thing, even though, it's, even though I'm ashamed to tell that story, the good news is that that's not who Jesus is. That's not, that doesn't have to keep being our story. You know, Jesus, I guess in contrast to that, you know, once again, whenever we see Jesus, when he's confronted by somebody suffering, somebody in need, what the phrase that keeps coming up again and again in the Bible is he's moved with compassion. You know, think about that phrase for a minute. I love that, that phrase. Something inside him shifts. You know, he feels compassion and he is compelled to act upon it. Once again, isn't it wonderful to know that that's who God is? He's not somebody who puts up this armor to not feel and not engage the suffering of people. He is somebody who is moved with compassion when he encounters suffering. So these are, these are just some things that I observe about myself and ways that I'm different from Jesus. Some, some reasons why, in the end, I don't tend to bless the way I'd like to. Reasons why I don't have the positive impact that I would like to. So what, I guess, what in essence am I saying uh, here today? Am I saying that all of our yeah buts, all of the reasons that we can think of um, not to bless are wrong? Absolutely not. You know, we are, we're, we're finite people. We have a limited upward capacity in how much um, we're able to bless. We only have so much money, so much time, so much emotional energy um, that we can pour into blessing people. And all of us you know, have to learn how to manage that. We have to learn how to use the resources that we've been given in order to be a blessing to the world. But I guess what I am saying is this. I think it's probably true of all of us. I don't think there is a single opportunity to bless somebody that I could encounter that I could not think of a really good reason not to do it. I think I am capable for any given opportunity to build God's love, justice, peace, mercy into the world. I think that I would be able to talk myself out of doing that. Every single time. And, you know, sometimes I try to convince myself that at some point in my life, all the stars are going to perfectly align themselves, and then, then I can really start blessing People, I'll have more financial security, and I can just give to everybody who needs it. And someday I'll have all this time and energy, and I'll be able to really throw myself into blessing. And it's, it's going to be just great, and I'll be the coolest rich person ever. Yeah. And I think the reality of the situation is that no matter how well the stars align themselves uh, for us to, to bless, we're always going to be able to think of some, good, some really good reason not to do it. And if we think that this time is coming when it's just going to be perfect 
to do it, that's, that's a wild goose chase. You know, so if we're ever going to be people, if we're ever going to be a community that blesses, we're going to have to learn to do that when it's messy. We're going to have to learn to do that when it's inconvenient. We're going to have to learn to do that when we don't really feel up to it. You know, most of the opportunities that we have to bless in our lives are going to come as interruptions. A lot of the opportunities that we have to bless people are going to involve people that we could make a powerful argument don't deserve our time and attention. And a lot of the opportunities that we have to bless um, are going to require us to take down our armor and allow us ourselves to be moved by their pain, their need, be moved by compassion. So, as I wrap up, I guess I want to give you a couple of challenges um, this week as we start to think about this and we think about how to negotiate this balance well. My first challenge for you, sometime this week, one time this week, allow yourself to be interrupted by the opportunity to bless somebody. Even if your schedule, every minute of your day is completely scheduled, even if every dollar that you have is budgeted towards something important, allow an opportunity to pour out love, justice, peace, mercy, to blow up your plans. Because if we only are willing to be people who bless when it works perfectly with our plans, our impact is going to be minimal. Secondly, look for an opportunity this week to bless one person that you are ordinarily tempted to think of as undeserving. Now for all of us in here, that, that might be you know, we might be talking about a different kind of person um, there, but I'm willing to bet that we all have people in our lives that we tend, you know, at our worst, you know, to think of this person or this group of people as undeserving of our time and attention. So hopefully as we do this, as we practice this, we can start to deprogram ourselves of this tendency to divide people into the deserving and the undeserving if all of us as a community were to, were to do each of these things weekly, just once, I, I think that would have an impact on our city. And if, gosh, if we were to make this a part of our consistent practice, if we were to reach out, allow ourselves to be interrupted by the opportunity to bless, and if we were to start, well, rather, if we were to stop dividing people between the deserving and the undeserving, and just bless people regardless, well then, Lincoln, look out. I want to thank you so much again for the opportunity to be here today. Um, thanks so much. Why don't we have a word of prayer, and, and we'll go on. Father, we, we long to be faithful to the calling to be a blessing. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. We want to build your love, your justice, your peace, your mercy, your compassion into this world. We want to we be a part of that. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to very carefully examine ourselves and the reasons that we conjure up not to do that. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that he represents who you are, and we thank you that he does not discriminate between the deserving and the undeserving because who of us in here would come out deserving in that? We thank you so much uh, for who he is and what he's done. 
We pray these things in your name. Amen.